Okay, um, good morning. Good to see everyone today. I'm Steve Keller. If you don't know me, uh, lead pastor here. If you're with us online, it's great to have you. And uh, I thank God earlier for his goodness and his blessing and his presence. But I, I want you to know that we appreciate your presence here today, and, and we're really thankful for all of you. So you are loved by all of us behind the scenes and, you know, who get in front of mics as well. So good to have you all. Um, so let's start off today. Uh, Zephaniah, we're getting near the end of the Minor Prophets. I think we have four left. Thank you for reading along with us every week. And uh, I'll kind of throw a question out there to, to get us started today. Um, just a, a really innocuous, softball question. But have you ever had a bad thing in your life become a good thing? Thank God it's not just me. Okay, good. Uh, what I mean is, is, is something comes into your life and um, it shows up as an intruder. It really does. It's not welcome. It's not wanted. Um, it brings a lot of hassle, heartache, maybe even be a painful situation. But when you get to the end of it, you realize it's either a lesson or a blessing that you, you really couldn't live without. You, you needed that thing to get you from this point to that point. Um, I'll share one of mine with you. Um, back in the last century... Um, and it's not a joke. That's not a joke. Yeah. Back, back in the last century, I took a, a youth position at a great big church. Now, you, you, you could probably call it a mega church. It was mega to me. And um, this, it, it, it really paid well. Um, it came with free seminary, uh, endless resources. I mean, it was, it was too good to be true. I mean that literally. It was too good to be true. And the heart of the problem was, it just so happened this time to be the senior pastor. Um, he was very insecure, highly controlling, and, and just in the way he treated people, he was a dictator. Um, and in my time there, which wasn't that long, he went through 13 ministry staff people um, because he was impossible to work for, I, absolutely impossible to work for, unless you were a dyed-in-the-wool yes-man. Um, not many people are. Back then, I was, since I was younger, I was kind of a maybe man. But just fast forward two and a half years, put a fork in me because I was done. I, I was done, and I left. I actually went on to seminary. And at first, I was exactly how you would expect me to be after that, uh, that experience. Um, emotionally beat up, worn out in ways I didn't know you could be worn out. Um, I was angry. I was bitter. I was resentful. Uh, so much so that one night, I dreamed that I returned to the church and I burned it down, okay? <laughs> That's not okay, but it just tells you, I mean, this was the level of trauma that I had been through, and so what I did was, was I invited God into that pain, and as time went by, I looked back on that situation and I realized that despite his delightful personality, he really did teach me quite a few things, um, he, he taught me, he really began teaching me how to preach, um, showed me a lot about vision and mission and strategy, um, just execution in general. For him, it was executing staff, but I learned about job execution. Um, but it, but it, it, for me, what happened during that tough time is that God accelerated my growth as a pastor, as a Christian. God put me into the fire, and it did a lot of refining. And so in the end, I could actually call it, it, it a blessing. Um, 
So that may give you a hint where we're going. Let me pray for us and then let's, uh, let's get into Zephaniah. Father God, we thank you that you are the sovereign Lord. And as our sovereign God, you are loving, you are good, and you really are about our growth. You care very much who we become. And Lord, to you, even the journey getting there, every step matters. And so Father, we pray today as, as we walk through uh, the book of Zephaniah that um, Lord, you would open our ears, that you would open our, our hearts even, and God, that you would do what needs to be done, what you see, um, to cause us to become everything we can be in Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so Zephaniah, Prophet Zephaniah, uh, book of Zephaniah, it is set in the years of 609, um, and I'm sorry, I have to stop and do this. You brought your baby to church, guys. Welcome to church for the first time, baby. I'm sorry. I just got to, I, I just, I, I'm sorry, that was a pastoral moment that I will never regret. Gosh, that's awesome. Okay, so anyway, um, but uh, so set in the years of, of 609 to 640, generally that time period, and the book is filled with a cast of very colorful characters, okay? Um, we start off with King Josiah, who if you know anything about him, he was a good king. And when I say good, he was a godly king. And, and he was a king who tried his best to get rid of idolatry, which was everywhere at that time among the people of God, and also to restore worship. Yahweh worship, God worship, um, did his very best, but unfortunately, tragically, the people had walked down the road of idolatry for so long that they crossed the line. And it wasn't just that they were guilty of the sin of idolatry, it was that they had become idolaters. It, it, it had become part of their DNA. And so here at the time of this book, they are worshiping God and worshiping Baal, Baal and they're worshiping Molech. Uh, that, that's, a, that's an impossible combination, I'll tell you why. Um, the worship of, of Baal, among many other things, um, it involves temple prostitution, public temple prostitution, um, extreme immorality and adultery as a part of the worship experience. Um, the worship of Molech is actually a whole lot worse. I will not go into it um, because some of us want to eat lunch in, in an hour and a half or so. But, but this one thing says it all. Uh, it involves human sacrifice. Imagine that. You know, imagine getting a bulletin, right, when you go to church and these things are listed on there along with the worship of God. But it was uh, just, just a horrible thing. And, but, and what it shows us is that when we read about the wrath of God in the book of Zephaniah, the wrath of God is well-deserved, and actually the wrath of God has to come, or, or everyone's destroyed, everyone's consumed by this. So, you know, it, it's, you know, we've talked before about this, how when people go, well, I like the God of the New Testament, he's really graceful and loving, but boy, the God of the Old Testament, he's a meanie. When you set it within the storyline, we see what God is doing, and we see who God is here, and here it, it's, it's well-deserved. It has to come. Well, then we have Zephaniah the prophet who has been watching all of this happen for years, okay? So from Zephaniah's uh, prophetic viewpoint, he's watching all this happen like a train wreck in slow motion for years. And so he steps up here and he, usher, he, he issues final warnings to the people of God saying, look, walk away from this, this perverse worship. Come back to God 
And, and th- that th- these two sides of his message, they end up being the theme of Zephaniah, which is judgment and restoration. And together, they make up what we see in Scripture as the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord in Zephaniah, just so you know, it is a very good day for you if you're following the Lord, if you're walking in his ways. Um, if you're engaging in what we read here in Zephaniah, it's, it's not a good day. Um, it will not be a good day if, if the rejection of God and keeping on trucking in sin. So then finally, we have the remnant, okay? Now, the remnant is a really interesting group. Uh, the word in Hebrew means what is left. How's that feel? Pretty good, right? And that is not to be confused with leftovers at dinner time. Um, or the kid who gets picked last for dodgeball. That's not what, what a remnant is. Remnant are simply people in every age who refuse to bow down to the zeitgeist. And the zeitgeist is the spirit of the age, and every era in history has a zeitgeist. Some of them are similar. Some are very different. Here, the zeitgeist is what we talked about. It's bowing to, to Baal and, and bowing to Molech. Today, not too hard to figure out what the zeitgeist is. Just plug in, uh, listen up, and, and it's all around us. But every spirit, I mean, every age has a zeitgeist. And so these are people who say, no, we're not going to bow down to it. So in Scripture, there are people like Noah and his family, um, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, um, Elijah, just to name a few. And so what the remnant do, another way to look at them biblically is think of Matthew seven fourteen. You know, uh, broad is the road, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Many people take it. But narrow is the way and small is the gate that leads to life and a few find it. That, that would be um, your remnant and they show up in scripture. But they're just people like in our age who, uh, you know, for them, Jesus Christ is Lord. Despite what is being said out there, you know, or all around us, Jesus Christ is Lord. The word of God, um, that is the, the, the light that, uh, that's the lamp that lights my way. Um, the will of God, the ways of God, they matter to me. And I'm going to walk those out with love for God and love for other people. That would be a great example of remnant in our day and age. And again, that highlights the problem in Zephaniah that here, um, the, the, the populace here of God's people, they've been mixing in idolatry with, um, you know, Yahweh worship ending in just this gross immorality and human sacrifice. And so this moves God now in the book of Zephaniah to specifically speak judgment over his people. Um, I'll give you one example. Zephaniah 1, uh, 4 through 7, God says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and all who live in Jerusalem. I will destroy every remnant of Baal in this place, the very names of the idolatrous priests, those who bow down on the roofs to worship the starry host, those who bow down and swear by the Lord and who also swear by Molech, those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of him. The day of the Lord is near. So this is over God's people, but in Zephaniah we also read last week that God judges the nations around uh, Judah and Israel, um, nations like Moab, Cush, Philistia, Ammon, Assyria, and God judges them for tormenting his people, for ravaging his people, for assaulting them throughout the years. Um, they, they will all be judged. 
And God is going to do this gulp through a hostile, pagan, evil, invading empire. And this time it's going to be the Babylonians. And listen, here's the thing with Babylon. You cannot put lipstick on that pig and call it a prom queen. There is no way you can make an argument that, well, this is Babylon's good period. That They never have one, okay? And here they're at the height of their power, and um, they're, they're going to be the ones to, to, to administer God's punishment and God's judgment. <clears throat> and that brings us to a very interesting, burning question that I could have asked in any one of the 12 prophets, and I thought today is a great day to ask this question. Here's the, here it is. Does God really use evil to accomplish good? It's, it's a fascinating question here. Because again, I mean, look at what's happening. Babylon is going to be used here. And again, we, we can't clean these guys up and present them as good guys. They are going to be the ones to move in and to deal out God's justice. In, um, in Micah, it was the Assyrians but when you look throughout the Old Testament, this happens again and again and again and again. And God always judges them at the end. You know, when they're done doing their thing, God deals with them. But God, does God do this? I think we have to ask the question because they are all presented to us in Scripture as tools in the hands of God to bring correction, to lead people to repentance, to draw them back to God in the end. To show his glory. Well, that's a pickle of a question, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, the short answer is, if God is sovereign, okay? That means if God is truly king and Lord of all, if he rules over all creation, if he is in control of all things, the answer is yes. Now, not to be confused with God causing people to sin. God never does that. But God can use sinful people to shape, to guide, to correct, to teach, and even bless his people. In other words, and I'm glad I'm in this church because I might get in trouble other places, but in other words, what, what we see in Scripture is that, that God's movement in our life, God's rule over us does not only include the things that we call blessings, the things that we like. You know, family, friends, career, anything that we would call a blessing, God also uses unwelcome stuff, painful stuff to draw us near and grow us up. And it's a principle that's in Scripture. I, I think right off the bat, just Romans 8.28. You know, what does that one say? In all things, not just some things, not in just the good things, but in all things, God works together for the good of those who love him, for those who have been called according to his purposes in Christ Jesus. And this principle is all over the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, right? We've seen it in, in, in the minor prophets. We see it in the Gospels. Here's one way we see it in the Gospels. We've all noticed how, right, Jesus shows up, right, in the Gospels in a public moment, and people, a lot of people flock to Jesus, right? Right? They, they, they surrender to Jesus. They, they welcome his touch in their lives. They're transformed. They're saved. They're rescued. Well, look at the backstory of all those people that we get a backstory on. Every one of them come to Christ out of pain, out of suffering, out of need. 
God orders all that in their life in some way, and, and then they have this moment with Christ, and they come to him. They have been motivated by need in their lives, by pain. Um, we see it in the New Testament with the early church. Wow, these are the first Christians, right? This is, you know, you would think, wow, the first church, they've got it made, right? Oh, trials, persecution. But look at what happens out of that. So many are saved. The church is founded. God is glorified. We're still here because of what they walk through. So it is a biblical concept for a Christian that everything that comes our way in life, it does in some way pass through the hands of God first. You know that great stuff that we like, that we welcome, that we celebrate, that we enjoy? That's God's blessing. These are good gifts. Even those annoying times, though, you know, that last a while. Jane was talking to me about it the other day where, where patience is involved, right? A lot of shaping and molding and good stuff happens through that. And even the real tough stuff that happens at times where we feel really defeated and we experience the goodness, the love, the, just the, the power and the provision of God. But I want to take this to even more a practical level here, okay? So let, let, let's, let's kind of macro, uh, micro this down even more, okay? An everyday example. Let's go back to Donnie's brilliant example from last week, okay? You remember that one involved Dairy Queen and Fuzzy's Taco? What do we do just every, in an everyday situation when Don Orange blows through the stop sign, right? <laughs> and he just keeps on driving like a madman. Okay, what, what do we do with that? Well, um, perhaps we consider it a God moment. Perhaps we consider that person, whoever they are, not Don, of course. I told Don I was going to do that, by the way. Um, but, but perhaps we consider them as a tool in the hands of God to shape out Christ-like character in us. I mean, think about it biblically for a minute. How can we ever bless those who curse us if no one ever curses us? I mean, how can we ever turn the other cheek if the first one doesn't get popped every now and then? How can we overcome evil with good if no one ever shows up as an enemy in our lives? So, so what if every time in our life, you know, and, and again, this is a tall order, and, and y'all could say back to me, physician, heal thyself on this one, practice what you preach, I'm learning this, but, but what, if, what if every time we're cut off in traffic, we're insulted, we're mistreated, you know, we're misunderstood, what if after our initial shock and reaction, because we have that, don't we? I do, okay, so what if, what if after that, we take it as an opportunity to grow in Christ. What if we do that? What, what if we even started thanking God for every person who feels like a pain in the neck in our lives? What if we showed up like Samuel saying, you know what, Lord, here I am in this moment, teach me. What, what, what are you doing in me today? Father, what, what do you want to come out of this in my life, in my heart and my mind? Your servant's listening. And just to encourage you with all of this, I wanna tell you what God is up to, okay? Here, God has an end game with all this stuff that happens in our lives, okay? God is up to something. He is taking us across the finish line. I'm going to read you the finish line. Listen to this. Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. 
Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Love that line. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I will restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Eleven times we get he will or I will. And if you back it up a little further, God says it even more than that. I will, I will, I will, I will. I will remove fear, shame, defeat. I will bring you into peace, freedom, safety, goodness, joy. So that, and here it is, so that we can be in a love relationship with God as Father singing over us. And you can think about all the times that parents sing over their children, whether it's lullabies, you know, or whether you're goofy like me and I sing around my house all the time, Noah, how's it going? Love ya. I mean, it's, it, 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 it is a heart affection pouring out of the lips of God in song over us. That's what God is after. And when you read this, who's doing all the heavy lifting? He is. I mean, God is moving mountains and getting rid of enemies, and God's doing it all, but he does have one thing he wants out of us. Okay, there's a catch. God is after one thing. God is forming one thing, and God is after one thing in his people, in all of this. It's in verse 12. I didn't read it, so you wouldn't figure it out before I could get to it. I'll read it to you. But I will leave within you the meek and humble. The remnant will trust in the name of the Lord. Do you know that that's what God is after in us? That's, that's what we get from Zephaniah. That's our part in Zephaniah, humility and meekness. That's what God wants to see in his people. And by the way, don't hear those words. This is because I do this. Don't hear those words and go, oh, great, doormat. You know, that's what God wants. All right, everybody, just walk across me. You know, clean your boots on me. You know, kick it all off. That's not what meekness and humility means. Instead, meekness or humility means for us that we lose our self-importance. That's really what it's all about. Yeah, I, I love the, the cliche now, but it's, it's very true. It's not that we think less of ourselves. We think of ourselves less. You know, pride and arrogance. So we, we, we push that aside. We put that down. We realize, like I prayed earlier, the world doesn't revolve around me. Still wish it did, but it doesn't and it never will, you know? We're just not that important in the end. And then meekness um, really goes back to what Donnie said last week, and the brilliant point in your sermon, my man, and it was talking about being silent before God. That's a huge fe feature of meekness, is that we get still before God. Be still and know that He is God. And in that stillness and that silence, we hear from Him. And we, we realize what He wants us to do, where He would have us go, we let Him call the shots in our life. And by the way, that is the secret 
for every single person who ever truly came to Jesus Christ. Humility, I need you. Meekness, have my life. Your way, Lord. It's, it's also the secret for every prodigal who ever walked away. Some of us have been prodigals. Um, some of us still have prodigal moments in our life, but it's, it's humility and meekness brings us back to vibrant relationship with God. And so in the end, what we're talking about here is just, it's surrender. It's wholehearted surrender to this holy God. So I'll end it with this, okay? In the end, God does use the good, the bad, and the ugly. <whistles> wah, wah, wah. He really does. God does do that. But he, he does it to shape us. He does it to mold us. He does it to draw us into life with him. That, that's who God is. And we've seen it consistently everywhere. This rescuing, restoring, regathering God is all about relationship with his people. That's what he's up to here. And that, my friends, is the work of a very, very good and awesome, loving, sovereign God. Zephaniah. There you go. Let me pray for us. Oh, God, you're good. You are good in every moment, and I thank you that you can be nothing else. And Father, we, all, uh, we are all prone to wander. We are all prone to get distracted. God, we, we are all prone to get caught up in whether it's a headline or our, 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 you're just over the edge in our own feelings, but Lord, you are true. You are even more than a north star for us. You are life and life itself. And we just thank you for the person of Jesus who came to make life possible through his death and resurrection. We thank you that, that even today in this next moment in communion, God, here's just one more way you say, come to me. Come to me and find life. Be nourished, be refreshed, be filled. Be my people. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. Amen.